Retain Podcast. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Gain, Grow, Retain. We are coming to you live from uh, uh, Friday in September. I'm sitting alongside uh, Jeff Kushmerik, who is the uh, founder and CEO of Infinite Renewals. And uh, I think he's coming to me, which looks like from a lovely uh, Boston right now. It looks like it is. It was uh, 60 degrees on the dog walk, which means now we have uh, the the hoodie and shorts routine going and um, fire pit at night. You know that that's what we're it's my favorite time. Also, I get to hit that button in my closet that rotates the clothes a quarter of the way through. So now I'm in my fall routine right now. So I love that. Uh, I walked out this morning and said to my wife, "Ooh, it's chilly. And it's like 70 down here or something. And she's just like, uh, she's like, you're crazy. And I was like, this is, it's been like 85 here for like two months straight. So Uh, the humidity, do you you have the humidity? Yeah. So like, you know, super humid. It's like mid eighties pretty much all the time. And then even at night, it's like uh, 80, 82 last night. So you have what I would describe as um, boy band hair. Like how does the humidity affect your, your, your lovely mane? I didn't. I don't know if you noticed this or not. I put on a hat before we started talking, but I just cut uh, my hair yesterday. Oh no! I uh, I got rid of the boy band hair, and uh, you know I have to go to a wedding next week yeah. for one of our really good friends, uh, one of my my best friends. And I was sitting there, and I was like, you know, I've had this hair for like two years, and my wife is kind of like, yeah, you know, it's like it's run its it's run its course. Yeah, you, you now look like you're a member of the Roy family. I love it. It's <laughs> <fantastic>. <laughs> good show. By the way, <laughs> absolutely. Um, well, Jeff, I'm excited to do this. This feels like a long time coming. I know we've, uh, you know, kind of uh, known each other in the circles of LinkedIn, and uh, well, it's because we always get each other's emails, right? Yeah. I'm just flooded with emails that says, "Where do I send the thousand dollar Venmo so I can get on GGR?" And I'm like, "Enough! Like, let's, you know, let's finally do this, right? Let's, let's get on it." Uh, well, I'm excited about this. I know um, you're somebody who's got. Uh, I think deep thoughts, but also uh, great comedy. So oh, uh, this should be a fun. This should be a fun time. Before we jump in, I like to do a couple icebreakers, get to know you. Uh, I I have some standard ones, but I thought let's go ahead and spice it up since uh, away. you know yeah. since you, you came on. What's so, what's the swearing law? Do you go for the explicit like an NWA album? Yeah, yeah. Go, I'm 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 all for it. You know, go yeah. go for uh, be natural, be yourself. Yeah, That's of course. What I think. Yeah. Um, all right. What's the so. What is the biggest food controversy in Boston? You know, there's always like a debate. Like in Charleston, it's always like, um, uh, for us, it's it's really about like, you know, do you, which kind of, of shrimp do you like, yeah. or yeah. you know, uh, what kind of oysters you going for? You know, this, what is this, it in Boston? This, this is easy. This is easy. I'm gonna break a lot of people's hearts here, right? Everybody when they come to Boston says they have to get cannolis from this place, Mike's, right? Yep. It's shit. It is not good. My grandfather, right off the boat from Italy, would not let me go there. He would only let me go to one place, and I, st- I still go there. It's in Medford. Medford is like little – it's a town that's all Italians. It's actually a town next door to us, and, um, and I would go there. Um, or there's other places. You would do better off not waiting the two-hour line in Mike's and just going to this little place on the corner that is like cannolis. Yeah, like they're selling them like with a little window that's open on the corner, and that place is much better. But everybody's like, "Oh, I got my box. It's from Mike's," and and I know I'm gonna just my DMs will blow up on this, and people are gonna come at me. But it's true, and I'm sorry. Even modern pastry, that, I like it. Fine. Yeah. What's yeah. the What's the place in Medford that you like to go to? What's it called? It is called Arthur's. Okay. Arthur's. Um, 
And, you know, the guy that runs it is probably 70 now. His, his dad opened the place up. It's like buddies from that, that show. And um, you can, that's where we get all our cakes. So you get your Italian rum cake for your birthday and all that yeah. stuff. And the funny thing is, is, like, my grandfather's measured. He was, a, he was a brilliant carpenter, but he was also like, but don't get the bread at Arthur's. Go down the street and get your bread at the Scali. He has to go to this place. So you just make these little stops along. And then you go to Bob's to get your, your cold cuts. So, yeah. You know, it's you gotta. It turns into a thing. You know, it's a day. And and uh, I really appreciate the name names of these places. You got Bob's, Arthur's, Mike's. You know, it's like. Uh, and then you know, I'm just waiting for Betty's or you know, Susie. No, you don't want to go to Betty's. You don't want to go to Betty's. Yeah, you don't want to. Terrible, terrible. Uh, I, love, I love that. Um, I'll give you a food controversy that I've been thinking about. I just okay. saw somebody in the airport with uh, Voodoo Donuts from. Uh, oh no, Portland. Okay. I'm out on Voodoo Donuts. Like I just. I've been there. I love donuts. And it's like, that's not the best donut. It's just that they just throw the most random stuff on the donut. And it's like, you know, it's almost like an Instagram fad. It's like, go somewhere else for donuts. There's better places for, for how, donuts. how dare you? <laughs> Did you know I was just ankles deep in a voodoo donut five days ago? I didn't. Not only that, I bought a bar. I was in San Antonio for one of my customers, and um, and I walked down to the Alamo in the morning, and then stopped at Voodoo Donuts, and walked in and got a box for my kids. And then I realized I wasn't going to be able to put it, you know, with my suit. You know, you only allowed this you know, check in and all that stuff. So I went to the the Hampton Inn All You Can Eat buffet, and I grabbed plates and I grabbed four plates and I made these little shell containers and then put them inside my suitcase. <laughs> this is incredible content right now. I'm like crying laughing. This is what people came for. <laughs> oh gosh, that's good. Um, all right. Well, I love the food controversy piece. That's going to be another, uh, I feel like that's going to be a good staple question in my, uh, man. I, I love it. I think it's, trying. yeah, I think, uh, you, you should get Christy on and talk about cheese. Uh, that's okay. all. I'm oh, she, yes. Oh yeah. yeah. It's a it, thing. I actually was texting her the other day about cheese, uh, because she said that the, that's like one of her main, she said it's one of her main foods in her diet, like in her just like daily diet. She's like, I have to eat cheese like every single day. Well, it's more like water. It's not like, it's not, yeah, yeah. it isn't a constant, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like a need. Uh, all right. Uh, now that we've we've gone past the food controversy, the thing I'm now now that I'm wondering, you have all these places. What's yeah. like a, what's like a typical Sunday look like for Jeff? Like what's a you know if you're just we'll say nice fall Sunday, what's it looking like for you? So you've done your ideal Sunday with other people. Do you want like my realistic what really yeah, happens? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. This is okay. Most of the time, except for the summer, but now now that September's happening, this is my Sunday. I set my alarm for 5.30 a.m., wake up, walk the dog. My wife um, is, is doing a 24-hour shift at the hospital, so it's just me and my three daughters. I um, go to Dunkin' Donuts and get bagel for my daughter and a coffee for the drive, and I drive my 11-year-old 45 minutes to field hockey practice. Okay. I sit in the back and practice guitar, which is actually um, very soothing for me. And um, and then I find this little place that has these amazing croissant egg sandwiches. Okay. And crush that, and then go on a little bit of a walk because the practices are two hours long. So. Oh and, man. Yeah. That's I I love the realistic part of it. Uh, is that the, the do your other daughters uh, play sports as well? And do you have to like shuttle them around? To other they did, one just finished her her soccer stuff. Um, she ended her career doing regionals in Virginia. This this um, so she just has track left over. 
Um, and then my middle daughter, who's a sophomore in, in high school, is a big dancer. So, um, so it's more just bring, you know, it's one of those things where you drop her off. She's there for three or four hours and you just go off. So the good news is on that is that my oldest daughter can be part of the driving situation because it's all in town and everything. So I'm like, hey, want your tank filled up? Go pick up your daughter. So I mean, my my go pick up your sister. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I have a 15 month old at home, so I'm like, uh, you know, 15 years behind you on this. But um, <laughs> but that's what I, you know, when I talked to Jay, that's what he said. You know, as uh, as your kids get older, it's basically like a shuttle surface, and then like once yeah. the first kid starts driving, you're like, wow like at least half my shuttle service is like freed up. It's like, I only yeah. have to do half the duty now. I mean, your mindset shifts to the worrying, but like as much as you worry about your kids getting into an accident, it's still much better than driving your kids around. Yeah. 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 I hear you. Uh, well, I love that. I'll give you uh, I'll give you my fall Sunday routine. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming this is sitting on a hearth somewhere, smoking a pipe, reading a newspaper. Yeah. Oh, and I, you know, my son sleeps until uh, noon, you know, you've got some light jazz party. in the background going yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, uh, he actually, he actually, walks downstairs himself at 15 months old. He feeds, he, he opens the fridge, gets everything out. Of, oh, you know. The day they can put the Lego, Lego into the toaster, your job as a parent is done. You are, you're good to go. Yeah. Uh, no, a real Sunday is, um, I basically have to figure out when the Buffalo Bills are playing. And then I tell my wife that that's my two or three hour hiatus. I'm like, Hey, I will do four anything hours. else. I'll yeah, do anything else. You need. But yeah. like, yeah, but whatever, like whenever the bills are playing, I, I'm not going to be the best husband. I'm not going to be the best dad. I'm literally going to be, it's like, uh, I've been a Buffalo Bills fan since I, I came out of the womb. My parents yeah. were born, born and raised in Buffalo. I've watched Heartbreak. I know you're going to be, a, you know, I know you're going to tell me you're a Patriots fan. You I'm not going to do the mass hole Patriots thing. Um, I respect the game respects game and I appreciate it. The fact that you would rather on an 85 degree Sunday, sunny Sunday, sit in your man cave instead of spending time with your child's. I, I respect that. Uh, so that's that's like the only thing i think about on sundays but uh our usual sunday mornings in the fall is uh actually the best time to go to the beach is like in the morning like so yeah um when we have our we have two dogs and our son so we'll get like a coffee and we'll uh we'll go to the beach and walk for like an hour and it's like the best way to wake up because it's like crisp you're not hot on the beach oh that's that's awesome your sweatshirt and shorts like you are i love it jealous absolutely um, all right. Now that we uh, spent 10 minutes on what people really wanted to uh, to do to hear us talk about, um, let's talk about implementation. You've, all right. Before we jumped in, you mentioned that this is something that um, you've been working around and very passionate about. And uh, I think something that maybe goes a little unnoticed. I think people might uh, sit there and say, hey, implementation is easy, right? It's repeatable. We should find the, <laughs> yeah. we should find the way to get the customer um, implemented in live as quick as possible, time to value as low, you know, as, as yep. fast as we can. Uh, so what, in your opinion, kind of gets overlooked um, pretty easily about implementation? Why do we not talk about it more? Side note, before I forget, I love that you used time to value because it's a, it's the wrong metric. So I'm going to take that, that as a thing. But, so um, I think we, we should get to those parts where customers should be able to onboard them, implement themselves. By the way, I just want to be clear because, oh my God, these terms kill me. So I am super focused on implementation um, and particularly focused on SaaS B2B, right? Um, Because then you start dealing with like data cleansing and connectors and maybe some codings involved and things like that, right? And as you work your way backwards to startup land, Series A and Series B, not all those things are built into the product. 
still you need to get everything up to like a hundred percent customer, you know, everybody loving you and things like that. So, um, so implementation is a really hard gig in those scenarios. Um, so, a lot of people don't talk about it and they want to get to the sexy, you know, hey, I got all my gain site running and, you know, fun tools and vanilla. And that's that's an amazing place to be. It just takes a little while to get there. Yeah. And you don't get there if your retention falls apart and the customer says this sucks and I'm not not going to move forward or or whatever. Um, so, you know, that, that's why I've been focusing on it. Um, a lot of people. um you know, there's there's a, many things that go into it. A lot of founders, they have this vision. They have the ultimate vision for what their product is going to be. And it'll be super easy to get there and everything. But it's not like that in the beginning. And you have to do a lot of like, yeah, maybe you need to write some custom code. You've got to clean your, your customer's data up. Yeah. You um, you know, it, it's, it's actually running like a software project, which I've been doing since the mid 90s and implementing customers on premise and doing things like that as a developer and then project manager. And I take a, a lot of that is it's the same thing. It's the same thing I'm still seeing these days um, uh, with, with my customers and startups and everything like that. Yeah, it's I also um, and I, one thing I wanted to ask you that I think about quite a bit and you can tell me if I'm on the right track or off off track. But um, I also think people lump in a lot of things kind of into the term of implementation. Um, And I think they think it like, I like to, I like to think about implementation as separate from like onboarding. And the reason Uh, is- 100%. And I have every slide I have starts off with, you know, everyone's like, how do you measure your implementation team? Like, well, first of all, it's not onboarding because onboarding is like continual, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Listen, my dad's a plumber. And like, I view things like you go in and you do a job and that's done. Like you couldn't walk away and be like, oh, the sink's flying, this water's flying everywhere. Well, we'll get to that, right? It's like, yeah. no, you could not, you don't get your money until like everything works great, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, your water basement's full of water. Oh, okay, yeah. We'll put that in the next sprint. So um, so I, I like to say like, you said time to value. I think an implementation team gets measured on time to launch, right? Because the customer does not care about the difference between implementation and onboarding. Yeah. They have a vendor that you've been lucky enough to displace. And they're like, listen, I'm not paying for two vendors come October time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like, I don't care whether it's implementation or onboarding. When am I shutting that vendor down? And my users are trained on your stuff, right? Yeah. Like think about like a, like a payment processing for, for payroll, right? Like, you know, you got to run a, payroll before and you got to work it all out there and everything and and get the users and they're trained and they're able to use things and through and everything needs to be like checkbox so a lot of people say oh onboarding is better because um you're just checking the box i'm like right yes there is a part of the thing where it's good to check the box you should have a baseline one or two templates that you're just able to execute on you know you're going to have 10 percent in startups that are kind of off the grid and things like that but you need to just be knocking these down things down in a very smooth, sequential, linear, sometimes pattern to get a customer smoothly onboarded. It's okay yeah. to not be agile. It's probably better to be waterfall in this case because we rinse and repeat, get customers live. Yeah, yeah. And that's uh, like your point too, I think just sometimes goes unnoticed, which is that um, that onboarding piece, like you said, right? Like that typically kind of continues to carry on because we have new users that are coming on board. Yep. Um, people always like lump that in. And the other thing that um, the other reason I've always like questioned that is because when you start doing that, 
um, we almost we we throw so much at the customer um, and expect it all to happen, and we yeah. have this mindset of like, okay, since you bought our product, that means a hundred percent of your mind share is about like our product, and it's just like, no, if we throw all this stuff at the customer, it's not just going to magically happen. Like they have, right. you know, it's like they're spending ten to twenty percent of their time probably in our product, maybe more, depending on which tool you have, but. Um, it's kind of like you, you need to, like you said, like you need to come with like, Hey, we need to make sure that we're implementing you in the, um, in like best practice ways. And we know we've done this, you know, hundreds of times, thousands of times. We know, like you said, we know the connectors you need. We know how this works. Like we have like systems in place to do that. And then you need to split out that kind of onboarding and enablement piece and start saying, okay, who are the right people for us to do that part with? Yeah. Um, and you know, how do you kind of put these things in order? So I, I always like, like to, can, can I add a quick note to that, Jeff? Um, as, as transactional as what I said there, I still think it's where people fall down on this is that they go super transactionally and check the box. Yeah. <clears throat> if you have your handoff with the sales team, your implementation team and your CSM and get the core outcomes that they're trying to achieve and then build and implement towards those core outcomes, that's what's critical there because it, it can get too much about the technology and the connectors and the this and the that. Yep. You know, again, I'm a big jobs to be done guy. Like, you know, what's the job that needs to happen here? Um, okay. These people need to do X. They need to do Y. Let's set it up so that when the CSMs working with them on their check-ins and everything like that, you know, you said when we signed on that you wanted to make sure we could do X, Y, and Z. We're delivering this value. Boom, 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 boom. And, and again, if you're, you know, have a 90 day implementation period, which is kind of standard for some of the more complicated SaaS stuff, SaaS B2B stuff. Um, what if in, in the first 25 days, suddenly people can kind of log in and bang around, they've got a better view of their data or they can do a, one job easier. Then suddenly the CSM can go back and like, hey, congrats, where you asked for three things to be, you know, you know, you know, done as part of using our software. You can do one of those now. And it's not like waiting till it 90 days and then starting onboarding and this and that. And then it's that constant value articulation throughout every phase of their life with you. All right. Ganger Retain listeners, today's episode is sponsored by Tatango. Tatango helps you compose inspiring customer journeys so you can retain, renew, and expand your customer base. As the industry's only composable customer success platform, Tatango provides ready-to-use CS programs and dashboards that help you quickly and easily launch moments of value at every stage of the customer lifecycle. Get started or request a demo at tatango.com GGR. That is tatango.com GGR. And now back to the episode. Uh, one thing that you mentioned in there that I'm curious to get your opinion on too is the um, kind of the outcomes piece. You know, I, I've, do you standardize that? Um, is it when you when you think about that kind of outcomes? What's the customer trying to achieve? Um, do you kind of let let's just say the salesperson kind of articulate that in the way that the customer said it, right? Like, hey, I'm trying to achieve this in our business, or do you think it needs to be a little bit more standardized into like I'll call it like a pick list? Like, hey, here's like the five things that are, you know, here's the five jobs to be done or yep. the outcomes that we typically drive. Like what's your, yep. how do you think I'll walk you through this. That? So um, the way I view this whole thing, and it's not like I 
it's like a CMM model, right? Founder comes up with an idea for something. He then hands that stuff eventually over to a marketing team. And that marketing team says, with our software, you'll be able to achieve boom, boom, and boom. So sales team, make sure you're out there and you're hem- emphasizing boom, boom, and boom. One, two, three, pick list stuff that you talked about. You have your handoff. They say we're looking for X, Y, and Z. You put those in your kickoff deck, right? Because the worst thing you can hear on a kickoff is, do you guys talk to each other? Like that's soul crushing, right? Yep. And then I say, I, I encourage teams to say this similar line back to them, which is, so we heard from the sales team, boom, boom, and boom. But I would really love to hear you say that in your terms yeah. and what that means to you. Um, and so that we can know exactly what you're trying to do. And that's where you get the pick list versus what the customer is exactly doing. It might mean like a different little tweak or configuration or X, Y, and Z. I do rely on the CSM to make sure that strategically these outcomes are going and that they're kind of managing, not managing like their direct reports, but they're they're ensuring that the implementation team have the correct focus to make sure that these outcomes are being achieved. Yeah. I, and I, I love your point though, of like the, um, in, you know, in the customer's words, cause I just think like a lot of times, like, and sometimes people say, well, if the customer has to keep repeating themselves, they're going to get frustrated. And my, my response is always like, yeah, but the thing that always tends to happen is like the tin can and strings never, never totally. really, really comes over. Yep. Right. Like it's always like, you know, the salesperson puts it in a little bit better light or a little different light than you really, you know, what the customer really needs or wants. Uh, so I always think like, yeah, we got to ask them. We got to get, um, you know, and you got to make it crystal clear of like why we're asking. Like, oh, totally. The, yeah. um, the other piece that I'm curious on too, is you, one of the things that you start thinking about, right. Is like, Hey, we're, we're transitioning. And you kind of mentioned this, we have this internal handoff that, uh, from the salesperson, you get the CSM involved, you have the implementation manager or the project manager, uh, yeah. that's coming in to, to kind of move that forward. Um, how do you think about like the relationship with the customer, right? Like how should, is it like on the CSM to make sure that super, like, super, super easy, super yeah. easy. Again, blue collar background here. I view everything usually in cars and buying a house or relationships, right? So I view it as um, the salesperson's your point of contact beforehand. Maybe they're going to filter things out to an SE or something like that. But the salesperson's that point of contact. The CSM is the point of contact after. And I view this just like a general contractor of when you're getting a house redone, right? So they're gonna, they're gonna, you're gonna walk in and like, I'm your general contractor. I'm the person you talk to if there's any problems. I'm gonna bring my plumber in here. They're gonna go make sure that you're all set up. And but if there's any problems with the plumber, you come out and let me know. And I'm the person that you talk to. You don't have to worry about the salesperson or anything like that. And just very easy from there. Nobody wants to be handed off from sales to sales engineering to implementation, from implementation to to CSM. That's four handoffs. And then you wonder why there's no value articulation and the customers get frustrated. It's because everybody, they're getting reintroduced all the time. Now, on that point, the CSM does not need to be involved in all of the meetings. Um, yeah. Just going over this yesterday with the team, you know, maybe it's every third meeting or when there's a strategic point like, hey, listen, you can go this way or that way. Uh, you know, we're going to bring your CSM to make sure that it's it's correctly in line and then um, and then go from there. So uh, So that they're not visible, but they don't feel like, oh, crap, now I've got like you know, 25 implementation meetings that I need to go to and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I love that point too. Like I, I think about it too. Like it, once the, once that alignment happens and it's like, okay, we've set course, like you said, on, we all understand where we're going. We all understand um, how our product is going to help you get there. Then, like you said, it's like, okay, now, now we're uh, making sure that the execution is going to happen, but yeah. CSM doesn't need to be on every little detail. 
but that is where like internally, right? Like, Hey, if you're being good, um, a good partner internally to your teams, like if I'm the implementation manager, it's like, Hey, I'm sending you, um, a couple updates or it's already logged in the system of record that we're using, right? Whatever yep. tool we're using, it's like, Hey, make yep. sure the CSM is included so that let's just say, you know, uh, Mike comes over and says, Hey, um, I need, you know, I'm, I'm pissed off about X, Y, and Z. Then the CSM isn't uh, caught off guard. Like they understand, okay, here's, here's totally. what's been happening recently without having to be in every single meeting. Yeah. Um, and and some of those tools are doing really good with integrating with Salesforce and then they can kick out status reports to your, um, to your CSP or whatever. So that the, um, the CSM knows, but again, I, I try and live in startup world for a lot of these people where, <laughs> first of all, it's usually the CSM doing all of these. We're, that's the first thing we try and break apart. But, uh, but then, you know, maybe they don't have all these systems. So even if they're using a G sheet, they can do an at, you know, and tag somebody or something like that. So, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, one other uh, thing I just have been thinking about as you, you kind of mentioned um, that time to implement uh, metric as like the, Hey, this is what, you know, we need to be uh, kind of judging that team on or thinking yeah. about um, that team. Are there any other any other kind of uh, core metrics or pieces that yeah. are like, hey, this is this is what we gotta this is what we gotta hit on? Yeah, I actually just wrote this slide yesterday, so <laughs> actually for my big rig that we were talking about, but uh, I just want to make sure I don't miss any of them because um, so my time to launch is is pretty is is my is my standard one that I go for, and if you can only get one, it, it should be that. Um, I, you know, and that, that's also, it's a duration thing, right? Um, and, and just to be clear, the, the TTV versus TTL, as I say, if you put those two, fa you know, time to launch versus time to um, value, um, you know, if you put them against a smart goal metric, um, uh, TTV doesn't really meet anything smart, right? Because it's not specific. Um, it's not really measurable. They're both achievable. So they're not really, a, you know, for implementation, right? Where you can view it more like, yep, we've got a 90 day thing that we're shooting for and X, Y, and Z. So we go from there. Um, you know, after that, um, there are certain things that are good to watch over. Um, you know, if you were looking about a KPI for an actual implementation lead, I love a CSAT post implementation. Okay. And as long as you make sure that you eliminate this scenario that always happens, there's a Venn diagram or vector. You're smarter than I am, so you can tell me which one it is, which is um, um, crappy product, great implementation manager, great implementation, uh, or a crappy implementation manager, amazing product, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and you can't have CSAT just land in like, well, the product sucks, but I love my implementation. So you have to make sure your CSATs are kind of you know, t t um, teasing those factors out a little bit. Yeah. That's what I was, yeah. I love, um, uh, maybe this is like a controversial thing for me, but I just, I think we, uh, over the years have relied too much on just like the standard question and not like push the envelope enough on like, yeah. Hey, we can get better questions in terms of our surveys. And like you said, like, I would love that the survey explicitly outlined that like, Hey, what was your, what, what was your experience with this person's yeah. name? And then what was your experience with the product? And then what was your experience, you know, like if you can kind of, like you said, make those explicit, then it also helps to um, zero in on the actual problem, right? Like yeah. a lot of times people just say, well, I ask one question and then I just look in the comments and then the comments just tell me what, where the problem was. And it's like, yeah, but you could also like tease that out in an actual numeric way too that yeah. helps you um, underscore that. So I'm, I'm with you on that too. One other thing that I think is really important, and I've bumped into this a lot recently with um, some S some customers with SMB, is that they're not starting the revenue clock 
the MRR, ARR, um, until the customer's live, um, which, um, again, when you're dealing with like enterprise and later stage companies and, you know, 75K, you know, software deals, that's one thing. But you have some people that are paying like $199, $599 a month. And they're like, I'm not paying in small businesses. They're like, why am I paying? And you can try. So I've just bumped into a lot of customers where um, that's not the case. So that's why I think that that time to launch is, is really important because there's another factor, uh, and that's why some of the tools are great around this, but amount of money in implementation, right? Like how much MRR, AR, but specifically MRR is sitting in implementation that can't go live until they are official, that can't get billed until they're officially live. Usually do have an implementation fee. You know, my thoughts on that. I don't want to go too deep on that. People, you know, I'm a broken record on that, but, um, uh, but, but, in which gives you some money up front that you can instantly recognize. Yep. But again, you know, you can bump it. Uh, there's some finance situations that pop up when you, suddenly you're just pushing revenue out, out and out because things are getting delayed because customers aren't you know going live and all this other stuff. And so those are huge num- numbers to track as well as having some idea of project profitability. I don't like implementation resources, tracking time, Unless I'm rolling out a new package or trying to do an evaluation to see like, you know, there's the CMM model again of implementation teams at startup phases, just get everybody live, do all whatever, just doesn't matter. And then suddenly the board saying, just don't lose so much money. Right. And then suddenly it's like, now we need you to be a profit center. Right. And so wherever you are in that line, when you're getting asked to move in those directions, it's good to know like, hey, we're going to do a couple of sample projects. We're going to track some time just to make sure that we're charging enough. I always put a carrot with the team. We're going to make sure we're charging, you know, we're paying you guys enough and all this other things and have enough staff and things like that. So there is a project. How many hours are these projects profitable? You do need to spot check those every once in a while um, to know, you know, based on those sort of board CMM level factors that I was talking about. Yeah, the the uh, the money one is also something that you could you can also look at it in terms of um, how long it's been there, right? You can start thinking about the duration of like how much, like you said, like 15, 0 to fifteen, fifteen to thirty, thirty. Yeah, to 30 aging 30. MRR, we call yeah, it. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, the the other point that uh, you were just touching on, I was actually just um, going to make a note about it too, was um, like the the point about tracking some of these things too, at least I think is, is also um, uh, like in some cases, I think somebody like you just need directionally, like, is this, like you said, like uh, the tracking hours piece, it's like, I don't need like, yeah, it would actually probably work against me to like make my team feel like we're tracking every little minute and like make them feel like, Hey, if you're not working, then like, you know, yeah, uh, like I need to squeeze every ounce out of you. I think that's typically how teams feel once you start saying, Hey, we're going to track time. But like to your point, like if we can do, kind of spot checks and like time and motion studies, like, Hey, on average, when we see an implementation with this type of integration, yeah. uh, it takes us X amount of hours. It just helps the business plan better. And this yeah. is something that I think getting back to your, one of your points about finance uh, is that sometimes like one of the, like one of the things that I see is that leaders aren't uh, when they don't, when they haven't made the jump yet. Uh, I think about the jump is like understanding uh, some of the financial impacts to the business and why like we're making certain decisions or why certain things happen. And you were just, yep. I think illuminated this point earlier, right? Like, Hey, a lot of times we can't recognize revenue until 
it's actually implemented in live. Like yep. that means that like the longer it sits there, the longer that we're actually like losing money on the project until it actually goes goes live. So yeah, um, and, and so when those factors are around, that's why when you started off with implementations easy, like it's one of the hardest gigs, especially at a startup, um, because of all of these factors. It's like we can't go live because there's no way to get the data in. We can't run updates. We can't do X. We can't do Z. You know, and it's like oh my god, and um, and, and you know, again, then you have to work cross functionally, do all the good stuff about raising problems earlier rather than later and things like that. So, yeah. Um, another piece that I just wanted to touch on too, uh, and get your thought as we, uh, maybe round out here in the next couple yeah. of minutes is, um, when you think about the transition from like implementation manager back to CSM, let's say the projects, uh, we've been implemented, right? Okay. Yep. We, we get the sign off the customer, get, you know, says, yep, we're good and live. Uh, and let's just say two weeks in two, you know, two weeks after that, we have a problem. Um, you know, how do you, how do you think about like the CSM I imagine is, let's just say it's like something wrong with integration or something, you know, yep. we didn't configure something appropriately. Like what's the right way to kind of get the implementation manager back involved? How do you kind of involve the CSM? How does that look for you in terms of just that interplay? Yeah, that's a touchy subject. I will say some of the ways you can get around it is to make sure that there's a burn in period. Like I mentioned, like an HR, HRIS type of company, the situation where you run a payroll, um, yep. you, you make sure that implementation doesn't fall off um, or, or transition over until, you know, customers can demo something back to you or they can, you know, you know, you go through these types of scenarios. Um, again, we're talking about SaaS companies and making customers successful and referenceable. So we can't break out the big PMP style sticks of like, well, no, you didn't, you accepted. So Go screw yourself. You this should have known better, stupid customer. I've yeah. heard a lot of that and everything. I'm like, these people pay your salary, by the way. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so you know, you got to be a little flexible. Ideally, you learn these little things, and your implementation plan keeps growing and, and adding in these little checks and balances and things like that. Yes, you will. Okay, there's two ways around this. First of all, it does suck to reach back out to the implementation team and bring them back in, um, but usually they're the ones who know what's going on and everything. It shouldn't happen within that first few weeks. Something's, you know, sometimes a customer makes something or something tweaks or, you know, I learned this at, you know, at Brightcove, uh, like my first SaaS company where we were building stuff off of APIs and they're like, oh no, we got rid of that field. We didn't tell you that. Um, you know, everything's two week sprints and something changes and then your customer thing breaks down. Next thing you know, Britney Spears is, is yelling about your website, which is an actual thing that's happened to me. So, um, so, uh, um, sorry, funny stories. I'm not going to talk about right now. And, um, so, so you do bring your implementation people back into it. Now, as you get bigger, um, I have found some other ways around it of having some CS associate type of team. Cause, cause the idea, if you want, based on the financial factors that we were just talking about, I realize I'm speaking wicked fast to uh, to get to this answer, but like I'm um, looking at the time here, um, it's hard to pull implementation resources off of um, of current projects because then you're going to delay those projects and things like that. Yeah. So if you're if you have the resources to do it, it is good to have one or two like CS associates, CS engineers is a term I hear a lot now, which is um, yeah. coming out there to be able to be on these projects to get transitioned to, again, these are your more technical solutions. If you're, you know, you know, product, 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 and these are very configurable and easy, 
this shouldn't be happening. But in that middle middle stage, it's good to have these people that can go in, know what's going on, know the config options. These people also do the, you know, when somebody gets upsold or moved to a module or needs a more advanced configuration, they know how to do those. So there's plenty of work for them to do. And they know the ins and outs of the product that that's going on. <laughs> yeah. I love that point too, of like, um, kind of keeping, keeping those types of, of people around to, to kind of handle some of that stuff. Because generally, like you said, it's not, um, if, if it's, uh, I don't know if it's large enough, then like, yeah, we can escalate it to, you know, yeah. it's like a, a big enough problem. But, uh, if it's, um, a little bit more nimble in nature, then it's like, okay, yeah, we can, we can have kind of good, a good point. We didn't get into like SLA, like, L, yeah, you know, yeah, those yeah. types of things, but obviously if the site's down, you drop everything and you just, make <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> like, yeah, like, nobody's getting paid this week. Like, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you've uh, been there. Uh, like, yeah, that's not fun. So, yeah, I, uh, and, and also you, you've, uh, got my heart racing the moment you mentioned like uh payroll system and like, we, we can't get payroll out on like Friday and you're just like, Oh no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like how critical systems are like that. So, um, well, Jeff, this has been awesome. Yeah. Uh, you know, we touched on, um, we touched on implementation, kind of the differences that we see between implementation and, uh, kind of onboarding. We talked about a little bit about the metrics and how can people, um, uh, think about, you know, what's the right thing to measure? Um, what are some of the other KPIs they can be looking at for their teams? Uh, we talked about some of the interplay between the relationships that you have, uh, especially internally. Um, the other one I just, uh, forgot going back to as well is just thinking about um, how you're defining kind of outcomes for customers, letting yep. them say it in their words, how you kind of get them to uh, kind of tease that out. So um, I think there's a lot of good actionable stuff in here, which I always yep. love. Um, I think everybody's going to appreciate that too. Oh, cool. Um, if uh, I, this is my, this is your chance to, to shine. So uh, if people want to find more uh, Jeff Kushmerick and uh, infinite renewals, where can they do that? Um, yeah, probably just going to infinite renewals and just clicking on the LinkedIn profile. Um, Jeff Kushmer, which is hard to spell and things like that, but, um, it should be pretty easy to find on LinkedIn or just look for the other Jeff. Um, but, uh, quick note also, um, I might be a little bit more out there, uh, over the next few weeks or so. I got a book coming out called retention starts and implementation. A lot of the stuff that we covered here. Um, so the, you know, again, not trying to like be a, you know, you know, yeah, millionaire yeah. author, but, uh, I, it's a, it's a guide that a lot of people have asked me for. So a lot of these topics, which I'll also be going over at the big rig, if you listen to this and that's, I'm not sure the timings on things like that, but I have a hour and a half workshop where we're going to, I've got handouts and people are going to write down, you know, a lot of the, these things. And we're going to work through a lot of these topics that we went over. Um, but yeah, infinite renewals is the website and, um, you know, check us out. Yeah. I love it. Uh, I will be at Big Rig as well. I'm doing a uh, workshop on community and customer success. Uh, I feel so bad for all the people that show up to mine thinking that it's going to be yours. Oh, the other Jeff. Jesus, this happens oh, all the time. No, every time. Um, no, it's a lot older. Jeff's really going to change his profile picture. Yeah. I, uh, I, I'm excited though to uh, get there in person and see, I, I do like some of these workshops and I like sitting in, even though I yeah. don't run implementation, I'm going to come uh, sit in on yours and, and see what you got. And, um, and I'll make sure we're going to tag everything in the description. So we'll awesome. make sure and link out to your website, the LinkedIn page. And then uh, if the book is out, we'll make sure and link out to that too. Um, awesome. So awesome. To do it. Thanks for having um, me, man. I really appreciate it. Have a great weekend with the family. All right. You too. We'll see you soon. Awesome. Thank you. Hey everybody, Jay here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You know, this started as a labor of love for Jeff and I a couple of years ago, and it's really turned into a movement around customer success and community, and we couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of it. 
Um, we grow this by word of mouth, so we'd we'd love it if you're willing and you find value in what you hear on this podcast. Leave us a rating or a review on on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It'll help us grow and, and provide value to more customer success professionals. Also, if you haven't yet, please sign up for Gain, Grow, Retain, the online community. It's gaingrowretain.com. You can meet other people, make one-on-one connections, share ideas, get ideas, grow your career ultimately. Um, be on the lookout also for live events, both in person and virtual this year. We're excited to get back to that. And thanks for being part of the community. We look forward to talking to you soon. Mm-hmm.